to the cloud. We are live. Hello and welcome to the Quirky Marketers podcast. Whether you're a professional marketer, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, whether you're just marketing curious or a marketing skeptic, we hope to provide a quirky perspective on all things to do with marketing and strategy. So during these podcasts, we will explore the value of marketing, its power, its purpose, and the transformative benefits marketing have on organizations, regardless of their size or sophistication. I'm Quentin, better known as Q. I'm Baba Alpetu, better known as Baba. <laughs> so today, Baba, we want to tackle innovation, and in particular, what we can learn from looking at the world differently. We are fully aware that the world has changed dramatically over the last year, and we're going to be going into a dramatically different world in the not too distant future, both post-COVID, post-Brexit, post-Trump. And I'm just wondering, are you feeling positive about this changing landscape? Are you feeling optimistic? Yeah, absolutely. I'm feeling very optimistic. Um, change is pervasive, change is constant. And there are moments in history where the change is a little bit more visible, a little bit more noticeable, like we have at this point in time. But ultimately, change is what creates opportunities. But there's always a flip side to that. And innovation is particularly important because it's one of the ways that we take advantage of the changes that are going on. At the same time, there is the other side of it is that not embracing the change, not innovating and keeping up with the changing environment that we're in can have adverse, um, so, um, adverse consequences. So, but if we do embrace the change that's going on and we're positive and we innovate appropriately, I'm very um, optimistic about the future. Yeah, I must admit, I'm, I'm sort of generally positive I think there's a sort of realization that those businesses that adapt best are the most likely to survive and um, my fear is for those organizations who are thinking that when we come out of lockdown and we enter this sort of brave new world that we're all really excited about that actually it will be back to sort of business as usual and an old model and I sort of fear for those organizations and I would say actually individuals as well who um, have got that sort of that closed mindset and I think you know what I really like to explore with you today is you know the sort of the challenges that we face and more importantly how we can overcome them and you know what tips and techniques that you know we can learn from looking outside our sort of our normal environment so I just wonder Babbitt you know you've got a really interesting sort of backstory um, you obviously uh, come from a Nigerian background you've come to the UK and you've made your sort of mark here um, and the first thing I really wanted to explore with you was looking outside um, the sort of un unnatural sort of insularity of the world that we're used to. Um, and I was just wondering your, your sort of perspective um, as a Nigerian looking um, at the UK market and the, the lessons that you've learned coming, coming here and equally what the UK and other, and other sort of first world economies might learn from looking at emerging economies and particularly Nigeria. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were as, a, as to get us going. Yeah, so just in terms of that, I mean, look, I'm fortunate uh, that I 
I see myself as both British and Nigerian, and I have both um, perspectives in many ways. And I think what that has done is that it does broaden your horizon and you could empathize and see things from both sides. And a lot around innovation is really about finding inspiration to allow us to think about possibilities, how things could be different and how different problems can be resolved. And there's no question that when you look at taking the UK and Nigeria as two examples, that there is the UK being a, a, a developed economy, there's a, there's a structure, there's a set pattern around it. And the element of risk-taking that goes on is a much more controlled within the UK market, whereas within a market like Nigeria, which is still a developing economy, you can see that there's a broader range of innovation and people finding different ways to solve problems. But in the midst of it all, what you notice is that there are parallels because sometimes we need to be able to take ideas of how people solve problems elsewhere and to be able to bring it into our own environment and you know one recent one that came to mind is when i think about how long it has been that the digital payment and using telephone to make payments how long that has been established and been part of the infrastructure in nigeria and um, of a part of Africa, and only more recently in the West. And this is partly because of the fact that the problem was that that particular innovation could solve was much more defined and clearer in that part of the world. And so therefore there are opportunities to look outside of what's normal to be able to find uh, um, answers to, to today's problems. I know that we're, we're going to have a, a we're explore the whole sort of Nigerian experience and, and Baba, you introduced me to, to Nigeria and we had many a trip over to, to Lagos and other parts of Nigeria together. So I know we're going to explore some of this in a little bit more depth and I'll share some of my experiences as, as well. Um, but before we get there, I just am wondering what your thoughts were about the, the biggest mistakes that you think um, business people and, and marketers in particular uh, are making when it comes to innovation. Um, and, you know, I made some sort of reference, you know, earlier on that, you know, my concern is for organizations and individuals who expect tomorrow to be the same as yesterday and are hoping that when we come out of this um, lockdown that we're going to just go back to where we were. And obviously that's that's one sort of big issue. But I was just wondering from your point of view, you know, what are, what are the other sort of major mistakes that you see individuals, organizations, maybe marketing functions making? Well, well I, I think most of the time, superficially, we all embrace the concept of innovation. The challenge around innovating is that innovation requires risk and the success rate when we are innovating is lower than when we keep doing the status quo. The other point is that most of the time, organizations and individuals realize that to innovate, it needs to be anchored around specific issues, specific understanding of what the future is going to be like. And understanding and defining that future requires synthesis. So at this point in time, most people can see the obvious things around the environment that we're facing in terms of the fact that 
Maybe people are traveling less, less people in the office, more use of digital as a way of solving um, and communicating and platforms for working together and so forth. And some of the some of the initial elements are obvious, but the areas that we need to innovate around is how all of the recent changes that have happened, some of the obvious and not so obvious ones are going to come together to create an ecosystem that we will be operating in tomorrow. And it is that tomorrow that we need to innovate for. And I think understanding the fundamental problem and planning and trying to answer the fundamental problem is one of the key issues rather than trying to ask the question of how do I improve what I do today? The innovation questions could be, what is the problem, the core problem? What does the perfect solution look like? And how close can we get to it today? And then we continue on that journey and we continue to refine and anchor all we do around this issue about the fundamental problem of the customer. So if I'm hearing you right then, Barry, this, you know, one of the sort of the, the key mistakes is assuming that customer behavior is going to stay consistent. And if we're not mindful of actually customer behavior shifting quite significantly, we could find ourselves obsolete. And I'm just sort of thinking, oh, way back in, in history with um, Kodak, you know, and they, they fixated on there being number, number one in terms of film. And yet, ironically, they created their, their own demise in, in digital photography. Or, you know, a little bit more recently when we, you know, we look at blockbusters. I remember, you know, in our high street just here, you know, only seven years ago, there was a blockbuster. And now it just seems inconceivable. So I suppose there's an excess, existential sort of challenge here. If we're not mindful of, of that shift in customer behavior and getting to the root cause of what's really going on, then, you know, potentially um, our businesses or our organizations could be rendered obsolete. Um, the, the other area I was just sort of wondering is whether we could just explore a little bit um, was to do with risk and culture. You know, what are these sort of underlying causes that might stop us from exploring the root cause? Um, and, and I just really interested to hear your thoughts about this sort of anti-risk um, or risk averse sort of culture that permeates so many different organizations, particularly those that are very successful. And I know you've had, obviously had um, a very strong background in, in sort of medicine and, um, and medical devices. And that sort of culture that's existed in the pharmaceutical sector generally has been pretty much risk averse until quite recently. So I was just wondering if you could share a few thoughts here um, of what you, you know, what you believe about the sort of a whole man mindset of risk and how it's actually holding organizations back. Yeah, I mean, in terms of innovation, um, the key thing is that the fundamental question is that for every solution that we have to a problem today, the question is not will it fail or will it become obsolete? The question is, when will it become obsolete? Because eventually it will, and it will be superseded by a better solution. So I guess the innovation focus is embracing the reality that becoming obsolete is a matter of time and working with that mentality. Now, 
the pharmaceutical industry is one of the greatest innovators that there has been, and they're continuously innovating um, in terms of the product. But of course, if we look at the general direction of innovation, they have tended to be innovating in making better pills, better products, better devices. Now, the question is that, of course, if we look at it and go back, just remember the question that we're trying to answer. And the question we're trying to answer is that people are trying to get better. People are trying to improve their health. People are trying to resolve particular ailment. That means that the answer can be a pill, but does not have to be a pill. It can be a device, but does not have to be a device. And when we look at the general trend with the, the, you know, the movement and development around digital, around AI and some of the learning, there are possibilities that there will be new modes of solving some of the problems that we currently are facing. And of course, there's a lot looking into wellness. And so the main piece is that to remember that not to get too caught up in the current trick that we have. In other words, that to make sure that we keep on asking the question around the problem that we're trying to solve and then making sure that that is what we're working on, that is what we're thinking about. And, and clearly, whether that means pharmaceuticals and devices and other sectors working together across to come up with the answer to the question. So you, what you're, you're really saying is we need to ask better questions from the outset. And if we are, I'm just sort of imagining, I mean, some of the organizations that I've been sort of working with of late in the um, investment industry, and I know there are very strong parallels between what happens in pharmaceutical and investment, and in fact, my old world in insurance, where actually everybody's really well paid. And, um, you know, the industries are actually highly profitable. They've got very complicated um, value chains. Um, and basically everybody's doing fine until a disruptor comes in and makes them obsolete, as you were just saying a, a little earlier. But in that interim, there's a huge resistance to change. And why on earth would we want to change? We're all doing really well. Um, and so why would we want to ask really tough questions? Um, and I thought it's really interesting what you were just saying that actually every, every organization every idea, every product is going to be obsolete at some point. And I suppose there is probably this reluctance to change when we reach a certain point in our careers, you think, oh, it's just too much energy, too much fat to change and, and do something else. So I'm just really sort of wondering with the experiences that you've seen, um, obviously pharmaceutical, there's a there's a, a lens on pharmaceutical probably unprecedented in its, its history and its ability to have got new products, the new vaccines to market really quickly. Um, and I'm just wondering from your point of view, what lessons that we can learn from that transition that pharmaceuticals has gone through from being in, in eightly cautionary, uh, high compliance culture to something that, to an industry that's had to respond unbelievably quickly to a, a global, just wondering what lessons you think we might be able to learn from them. Yeah, well, I think one of the key lessons is that this has been a fantastic opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry to demonstrate its value. Um, it's, an, it's an industry that does benefit from some, I would just say some protection in that sense. And I think in moments like this, we see why. It does operate in a 
imperfect, highly regulated market. But at the same time, in this scenario, we needed a really fast answer to the question of COVID. And I think that the industry has responded remarkably and in some cases come up with a range of solutions, which means that we are all optimistic about the future despite the, 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 the COVID scenario that we, we face. I think fundamentally what, what probably this will cause a lot of then reflection and the relationship between the industry and the stakeholders being government and the consumers will probably evolve after this because as we see that we this is an industry that we desperately need to be successful to be innovative and to be to have the capability to respond it's in many ways it is as important if you like as you know militaries to some to, to countries in terms of really protecting from invading forces and in many ways the the covid was was something like that i think that having said that i think what's important is not for the industry not to rest on its laurels and really continue to think about the fundamental problem and to get involved in all areas where there is a chance to answer the question of improving people's health. And regardless of whether that is through pharmaceutical intervention or other types of intervention, I think that the church should be broadened to be able to encompass um, um, all of the above. And I think that for, it, for other industries, the lesson that we can learn is this issue about one, Having a setup that allows to be able to respond to change as quickly as the pharmaceutical industry has done is something that we can learn and really take away that the ability to innovate still in a regulated way and to come up with solutions as quickly as they've done has been remarkable. And I think that in the end, it's this point around answering the fundamental question. And, and to be fair to the industry, what the pharmaceutical industry does very well is answer fundamental questions albeit that the challenge is that whether the root of answering that question is somewhat myopic. So it's really interesting what you're saying here about, okay, get it, asking the right question. It, for the, the situation with COVID, it was fairly straightforward as to what the question was going to be. It was a fairly easily defined piece. Um, I'm just sort of wondering, that's getting new products to market fairly quickly, uh, well, unbelievably quickly. But as a sort of a culture of innovation generally, I mean, what do you feel about <laughs> forcing ourselves out of our natural comfort zones? You know, if we're in really nicely paid jobs, we're really secure, why on earth would we want to go and seek discomfort? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this whole point around, you know, comfort is not the fastest or the best way to create excellence. And if we want to innovate, we need to empathize with the discomfort. This is where the desire and the need and the want to change comes from. There's also this piece around risk and, and, and analyzing and weighing up risk. And if we end up in a scenario where we underestimate the current solution that we have, um, the, the risk in staying with the current solution, sometimes the risk of moving away can seem a bit um, can, can seem bigger than it is in reality. Often, the biggest risk is not to innovate. The biggest risk is not to ask the difficult question. And you could almost say that it's impossible to ask the difficult questions too early. 
And in fact, if it's not too early, the only other option is that it's too late. So you read th this idea of trying to find the right and the perfect time to ask the difficult question of our organization, our product, our proposition, it's a bit false in many ways because that period exists perhaps for a second. And so therefore you really need to be asking the difficult questions earlier on about the business model, the answers to the question and continuing to remember that not how good our product is versus the competitors, but how good our product is versus what the customer would want in an ideal scenario. And you look at most extremely innovative organizations that have closed the gaps in value delivered to customers over time, it's based on the fact that they have a bigger vision around what's possible. And that's what they chase in, not the competitors. And Amazon is a fantastic example in this. It's gone from, you know, a service that, you know, has meant that all of a sudden we all now expect to be able to get same day deliveries on a range of products that we're ordering. And we can see how constantly they're empathizing with the customer and ruthlessly trying to come up with answers to customers' questions, which then means that a lot of the other concerns that there is about their operations and maybe the size and the scales and impact maybe doesn't get the traction because they are meeting the core needs of the customer in a way that perhaps nobody else is doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Amazon is, is a fascinating case study in so many levels. And you know, I think one of the challenges that we face, you know, working for in, inevitably smaller organizations than Amazon is say, well, okay, what can we learn from them? You know, they're massive. You know, Jeff Bezos is obviously a visionary and extraordinary individual, but in reality, what can we learn? Well, I I picking up from what you've said here, Bab, well, I think there's lots that we can learn. I mean, one of them, you know, we all got used to, you know, the one click and it's delivered. And I know that was an initiative that they that they created. Um, they try things; not everything works, but they but they try it. Um, they challenge the business model. Um, you know, they look at how they can bring things to market really, really quickly. Um, so I think there's a lot of really good things. I mean, I was just going to add in to what you were saying with, with thinking about the um, General Electric and how GE used to build into their processes. And I suspect they still do. Um, a, they, they challenge themselves to destroy their business. And I just thought it's a fantastic exercise in its own, own right, is if, you know, to stand back and say, well, okay, here's our business. What could we do to destroy it? What would that business model look like? And it goes back to, I think, what you were saying earlier, is asking a really good question. And I would suggest that's maybe one of them. You know, what would you do if you had an unlimited budget to destroy your business? What would it look like? Um, Actually, I quite like the idea of doing that as, a, as an away day. <laughs> probably in a way we probably need to, to solve that. Um, what about for individuals though, Baba? I mean, if we are trying to push ourselves out of our natural sort of comfort zones, I mean, what, did, what thoughts might you have to help us as individuals just be more innovative in our sort of our general attitude to, to work and life? Yeah, I think one of the key things is that we all tend to be very insular. So we stay within our function, within our industry, same circles, same groups, same processes. And then we expect to come up with 
different ideas and different answers. And one of the key things is that to broaden our input, to look outside our industry, look at adjacent industries, to try to understand the fundamentals of what's going on. So we can see the parallel between financial services and pharmaceuticals, and we could see the learning and we can remember that the consumers are the same consumers that we all are trying to serve. So the changes in their behaviors and their attitudes, how other organizations are reacting to it, there are lessons in all of this um, for us. And to force ourselves to dream about what could be, what would be possible, what could be achieved, how much better could this question be answered? And even if we're not able to get close to it, the, that space that we create is the space that allows us to innovate, that allows us to answer questions, that allows us to be able to be provocative and to begin this journey on getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I suppose inevitably part of that is to be more inquisitive and to be looking for other stimulation um, and you, you talked about adjacent industry. I know one of the real challenges that I've faced working in B2B for the last few years is that there is a, a total resistance to any ideas coming from FMCG. Well, I know we don't want to do with business to consumer, but that's a totally different game. We're not into that. Uh, what are your thoughts then about that big jump? It's one thing to have a sort of a relatively small jump to an adjacent industry or one that's quite similar. I don't know, what are your thoughts about looking well beyond and you know, looking at completely different sectors? Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge, I think to, to get people completely out of their comfort zone into different sectors is, is um, it's phenomenal. I've had some opportunities within my career to move from B2B to B2C, from B2B to, you know, and so forth. But the, the main point is, one, the individual's ability and willingness to take the risk to go and um, learn and, and use their trade in a different um, um, sector. But the other point is the culture. And often this is one of the difficulties in terms of the willingness of different cultures to be able to absorb and to accommodate people who have different ideas because clearly they won't know the rules of how things used to be which is a weakness, but it's also their strength because they will be able to challenge things in ways which are new, which are different and forces different thinking. So I, I would say that wherever it's possible, as broad as possible, the experience in, in different sectors, different environment, even different function, so that there's a more rounded view. And you tend to see that you see more movement at general management level across sectors than sometimes you see within functions like marketing. And I think there's something that we can learn there for both the recruiting organization as well as individuals that we get much more mobility across sectors. There's so much that we could pick up on there. Uh, I think one of the, the, the things that I really sort of identified with what you were saying is really sort of the empathetic piece of seeing the world through other people's eyes. Um, and I was very mindful of that. And I'm going to link this back to our time together. It was a long time ago. It's nearly 10 years ago that, that we first went out to uh, Lagos together. And for me to see 
um, the world from a very different perspective. Um, I mean, landing in Lagos Airport 10 years ago, is, I think it's very different to where it is now, but it was an assault on the senses. Um, but in reflection, what it really got me to do is to, to look at everything from a very different viewpoint. Now, I had very sort of blinkered views as to how things should be, um, what marketing looked like, what how customer behavior, how people reacted, and then to be immersed in a totally different environment got me to sort of challenge and rethink so much about you know what I've done. Um, and you know th there was a sort of another angle to this as well, this thinking of Matthew Saeed's book, um, which is relating to the whole importance of diversity um, and looking and having different perspectives so that you know major events such as 9-11 might have been avoided had they actually had a more diverse team. Um, they recruited the same types of people. This, we're talking about CIA here. Um, they recruited the same sort of people for the same sort of background, essentially sort of cut and paste, and they missed um, lots of insights that they could have easily spotted um, from Al-Qaeda had they had anybody from outside, well, particularly with sort of a Muslim background. So I just sort of wonder from your perspective as well. Um, again, you, you said right from the outset, you're, you're privileged to be wearing sort of two hats here, but the advantages that you've got of seeing things in from a sort of a, a British and a Nigerian perspective is you've been traveling, and I know you spent quite a lot of time in, um, in Switzerland, for example, um, and what your thoughts were, the advantages that you had from those different cultural backgrounds that you were able to add going into an, into a Swiss culture. Yeah, I always remember the, the must be almost 20 years ago now when I sat down and had a discussion about this job in Switzerland. And the question I was asked was, how are you going to cope with the broad range of international culture and living in a different um, country? And I think that I successfully navigated that by explaining the fact that I had an experience of living in, in, in Lagos and in London. I think that it allows a, a broad appreciation that First of all, that there are many ways of answering a question and that different cultures, different environment approach and answer the challenges that they face differently. And sometimes there are some things that at first glance don't make sense, but with a bit of patience, with a bit of empathy and understanding, there is usually good logic as to why things are done the way that they're that the different um, cultures, individuals do them. And, and often there's something to learn from it. And I think that this, this, this willingness to learn, to understand, to embrace how other people do things, how they solve problems, how they answer questions, how they look at things, it's almost like a continuation of our education. Some of it we get from books and podcasts, and some of it we get from our observations. Um, I remember a friend of mine about 15 years ago contacted me and he said, Baba, can you arrange it for me? I want to go and spend a week in Lagos. I just want to work. I want to do some research. And I said, well, I, what do you, he said, no, I, I need to. And I, and I organized it for him. And I remember he, he went over and spent a week in Lagos and he said, one of the best experiences he's ever had. We have to find ways to get out of our comfort zone to force us to think differently because because naturally left to our own devices, we will keep on doing what, where we have found comfort, which is why um, 
necessity is the mother of invention. And if necessity is not naturally available, we should create it because this is the secret source for us to be able to innovate, to invent and to come up with different ways of answering questions. Uh, I think that's a great place just to finish off. So basically what you're saying, swallow that brave pill, push yourself out of your comfort zone, be bold, look to adjacent industries, look to disruptive industries, and then actually within your own, own team, hire diverse ranges of, of, of people. I think it was a really strong way to finish. Baba, thank you very much indeed. And thank you all for listening to the Quirky Marketers. Next session, we are going to be talking about strategy and planning and the classic mistakes that people make in that space. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like to raise with us, please um, contact us via the usual channels and then we'll leave you with that. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you again next time. to the cloud. We are live. Hello and welcome to the Quirky Marketers podcast. Whether you're a professional marketer, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, whether you're just marketing curious or a marketing skeptic, we hope to provide a quirky perspective on all things to do with marketing and strategy. So during these podcasts, we will explore the value of marketing, its power, its purpose, and the transformative benefits marketing have on organizations, regardless of their size or sophistication. I'm Quentin, better known as Q. I'm Baba Alpetu, better known as Baba. <laughs> so today, Baba, we want to tackle innovation, and in particular, what we can learn from looking at the world differently. We are fully aware that the world has changed dramatically over the last year, and we're going to be going into a dramatically different world in the not too distant future, both post-COVID, post-Brexit, post-Trump. And I'm just wondering, sort of, Bamba, are you feeling positive about this changing landscape? Are you feeling optimistic? Yeah, absolutely. I'm feeling very optimistic. Um, change is pervasive, change is constant. And there are moments in history where the change is a little bit more visible, a little bit more noticeable, like we have at this point in time. But ultimately, change is what creates opportunities. But there's always a flip side to that. And innovation is particularly important because it's one of the ways that we take advantage of the changes that are going on. At the same time, there is the other side of it is that not embracing the change, not innovating and keeping up with the changing environment that we're in can have adverse, um, um, adverse consequences. So, but if we do embrace the change that's going on and we're positive and we innovate appropriately, I'm very um, optimistic about the future. Yeah, I must admit, I'm, I'm sort of generally positive, I think there's a sort of realization that those businesses that adapt best are the most likely to survive. And um, my fear is for those organizations who are thinking that when we come out of lockdown and we enter this sort of brave new world that we're all really excited about, that actually it will be back to sort of business as usual and an old model. And I sort of fear for those organizations. And I would say actually individuals as well who um, have got that sort of that closed mindset and 
I think, you know, what I really like to explore with you today is, you know, the sort of the challenges that we face and more importantly, how we can overcome them and, you know, what tips and techniques that, you know, we can learn from looking outside our sort of our normal environment. So I just wonder, Babbitt, you know, you've got a really interesting sort of backstory. Um, you obviously come from a Nigerian background. You've come to the UK and you've made your sort of mark here. Um, and the first thing I really wanted to explore with you was looking outside um, the sort of un unnatural sort of insularity of the world that we're used to. Um, and I was just wondering if your, your sort of perspective um, as a Nigerian looking um, at the UK market and the, the lessons that you've learned coming, coming here and equally what the UK and other, and other sort of first world economies might learn from looking at emerging economies and particularly Nigeria. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were as, a, as to get us going. Yeah, so just in terms of that, I mean, look, I'm fortunate uh, that I, I see myself as both British and Nigerian and I have both um, perspectives in many ways. And I think what that has done is that it does broaden your horizon and you could empathize and see things from both sides. And a lot around innovation is really about finding inspiration to allow us to think about possibilities, how things could be different and how different problems can be resolved. And there's no question that when you look at taking the UK and Nigeria as two examples that there is the UK being a, a, a developed economy, there's a, there's a structure, there's a set pattern around it. And the element of risk taking that goes on is a much more controlled within the UK market. Whereas within a market like Nigeria, which is still a developing economy, you can see that there's a broader range of innovation and people finding different ways to solve problems. But in the midst of it all, what you notice is that there are parallels because sometimes we need to be able to take ideas of how people solve problems elsewhere and to be able to bring it into our own environment. And you know, one recent one that came to mind is when I think about how long it has been that the digital payment and using telephone to make payments, how long that has been established and been part of the infrastructure in Nigeria and um, other parts of Africa, and only more recently in the West. And this is partly because of the fact that the problem was that that particular innovation could solve was much more defined and clearer in that part of the world. And so therefore there are opportunities to look outside of what's normal to be able to find uh, um, answers to, to today's problems. I know that we're, we're going to have a, a we're explore the whole sort of Nigerian experience and, and Baba, you introduced me to, to Nigeria and we had many a trip over to, to Lagos and other parts of Nigeria together. So I know we're going to explore some of this in a little bit more depth and I'll share some of my experiences as, as well. Um, but before we get there, I was just wondering what your thoughts were about the, the biggest mistakes that you think um, business people and, and marketers in particular uh, are making when it comes to innovation. Um, and, you know, I made some sort of reference, you know, earlier on that, you know, my concern is for organizations and individuals who expect tomorrow to be the same as yesterday and are hoping that when we come out of this 
um, lockdown that we're going to just go back to where we were and obviously that's that's one sort of big issue but I was just wondering from your point of view you know what are, what are the other sort of major mistakes that you see individuals organizations maybe marketing functions making well well, I, I think most of the time, superficially, we all embrace the concept of innovation. The challenge around innovating is that innovation requires risk and the success rate when we are innovating is lower than when we keep doing the status quo. The other point is that most of the time, organizations and individuals realize that to innovate, it needs to be anchored around specific issues, specific understanding of what the future is going to be like. And understanding and defining that future requires synthesis. So at this point in time, most people can see the obvious things around the environment that we're facing in terms of the fact that maybe people are traveling less, less people in the office, more use of digital as a way of solving um, and communicating and platforms for working together and so forth. And some of the, some of the initial elements are obvious but the areas that we need to innovate around is how all of the recent changes that have happened some of the obvious and not so obvious ones are going to come together to create an ecosystem that we will be operating in tomorrow and it is that tomorrow that we need to innovate for and i think understanding the fundamental problem and planning and trying to answer the fundamental problem is one of the key issues rather than trying to ask the question of how do I improve what I do today the innovation questions could be what is the problem the core problem what does the perfect solution look like and how close can we get to it today and then we continue on that journey and we continue to refine and anchor all we do around this issue about the fundamental problem of the customer. So if I'm hearing you right then, Barry, this, you know, one of the sort of the, the key mistakes is assuming that customer behavior is going to stay consistent. And if we're not mindful of actually customer behavior shifting quite significantly, we could find ourselves obsolete. And I'm just sort of thinking, oh, way back in, in history with um, Kodak, you know, and they they fixated on there being number number one in terms of film, and yet ironically they created their their own demise in in digital photography. Or you know a little bit more recently when we you know we look at blockbusters. I remember you know in our high street just here, you know only seven years ago there was a blockbuster, and now it just seems inconceivable. So I suppose there's an excess existential sort of challenge here if we're not mindful. Of, of that shift in customer behavior and getting to the root cause of what's really going on, then you know, potentially um, our businesses or our organizations could be rendered obsolete. Um, the, the other area I was just sort of wondering is whether we could just explore a little bit um, was to do with risk and culture. You know, what are these sort of underlying causes that might stop us from exploring the root cause? Um, and and I just really interested to hear your thoughts about this sort of anti-risk um, or risk-averse sort of culture that permeates so many different organisations, particularly those that are very successful. And I know you've had, obviously had um, a very strong background in and sort of medicine and, um, and medical devices. 
and that for the culture that's existed in the pharmaceutical sector generally has been pretty much risk averse until quite recently. So I was just wondering if you could share a few thoughts here um, of what you, you know, what you believe about the sort of a whole man- mindset of risk and how it's actually holding organisations back. Yeah, I mean, in terms of innovation, um, the key thing is that the fundamental question is that for every solution that we have to a problem today, the question is not, will it fail or will it become obsolete? The question is, when will it become obsolete? Because eventually it will and it will be superseded by a better solution. So I guess the innovation focus is embracing the reality that becoming obsolete is a matter of time and working with that mentality. Now, the pharmaceutical industry is one of the greatest innovators that there has been, and they're continuously innovating um, in terms of the product. But of course, if we look at the general direction of innovation, they have tended to be innovating in making better pills, better products, better devices. Now, the question is that, of course, if we look at it and go back, just remember the question that we're trying to answer. And the question we're trying to answer is that people are trying to get better. People are trying to improve their health. People are trying to resolve particular ailments. That means that the answer can be a pill, but does not have to be a pill. It can be a device, but does not have to be a device. And when we look at the general trend with the, the, you know, the movement and development around digital, around AI and some of the learning, there are possibilities that there will be new modes of solving some of the problems that we currently are facing. Of course, there's a lot looking into wellness. And so the main piece is that to remember that not to get too caught up in the current trick that we have. In other words, that to make sure that we keep on asking the question around the problem that we're trying to solve and then making sure that that is what we're working on, that is what we're thinking about. And and clearly, whether that means pharmaceuticals and devices and other sectors working together across to come up with the answer to the question. So you, what you're, uh, you're really saying is we need to ask better questions from the outset. And if we are, I'm just sort of imagining, I mean, some of the organizations that I've been sort of working with of late in the um, investment industry, and I know there are very strong parallels between what happens in pharmaceutical and investment, and in fact, my old world in insurance, where actually everybody's really well paid. And, um, you know, the industries are actually highly profitable. They've got very complicated um, value chains. Um, and basically everybody's doing fine until a disruptor comes in and makes them obsolete, as you were just saying a, a little earlier. But in that interim, there's a huge resistance to change. And why on earth would we want to change? We're all doing really well. Um, and so why would we want to ask really tough questions? Um, and I thought it's really interesting what you were just saying that actually every, every organization every idea, every product is going to be obsolete at some point. And I suppose there is probably this reluctance to change when we reach a certain point in our careers. You think, oh, it's just too much energy, too much fat to change and, and do something else. So I'm just really sort of wondering with the experiences that you've seen, um, obviously pharmaceutical, there's a 
there's a, a lens on pharmaceutical probably unprecedented in its its history and its ability to have got new products the new vaccines to market really quickly um, and i'm just wondering from your point of view what lessons that we can learn from that transition that pharmaceutical has gone through from being in in eightly cautionary uh high compliance culture to something that to industry that's had to respond unbelievably quickly to a a glow just wondering what lessons you think we might be able to learn from them yeah well I think one of the key lessons is that this has been a fantastic opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry to demonstrate its value. Um, it's, an, it's an industry that does benefit from some, I would just say some protection in that sense. And I think in moments like this, we see why. It does operate in an imperfect, highly regulated market, but at the same time, in this scenario, we needed a really fast answer to the question of COVID. And I think that the industry has responded remarkably and in some cases come up with a range of solutions, which means that we are all optimistic about the future despite the, 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 the COVID scenario that we, we face. I think fundamentally what, what probably this will cause a lot of then reflection and the relationship between the industry and the stakeholders being government and the consumers will probably evolve after this because as we see that we this is an industry that we desperately need to be successful to be innovative and to be to have the capability to respond it in many ways it is as important if you like as you know militaries to some to, to countries in terms of really protecting from invading forces and in many ways the the covid was was something like that i think that having said that i think what's important is not for the industry not to rest on its laurels and really continue to think about the fundamental problem and to get involved in all areas where there is a chance to answer the question of improving people's health. And regardless of whether that is through pharmaceutical intervention or other types of intervention, I think that the church should be broadened to be able to encompass um, um, all of the above. And I think that for, it, for other industries, the lesson that we can learn is this issue about one, Having a setup that allows to be able to respond to change as quickly as the pharmaceutical industry has done is something that we can learn and really take away that the ability to innovate still in a regulated way and to come up with solutions as quickly as they've done has been remarkable. And I think that in the end, it's this point around answering the fundamental question. And, and to be fair to the industry, what the pharmaceutical industry does very well is answer fundamental questions albeit that the challenge is that whether the root of answering that question is somewhat myopic. So it's really interesting what you're saying here about, okay, get it, asking the right question. It, for the, the situation with COVID, it was fairly straightforward as to what the question was going to be. It was a fairly easily defined piece. Um, I'm just sort of wondering, that's getting new products to market fairly quickly, uh, well, unbelievably quickly. But as a sort of a culture of innovation generally, I mean, what do you feel about <laughs> forcing ourselves out of our natural comfort zones? You know, if we're in really nicely paid jobs, we're really secure, why on earth would we want to go and seek discomfort? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this whole point around, you know, comfort is not the fastest or the best way to create excellence. And if we want to innovate, we need to empathize with the discomfort. This is where the desire and the need and the want to change comes from. There's also this piece around risk and 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 analyzing and weighing up risk. And if we end up in a scenario where we underestimate the current solution that we have, um, the, the risk in staying with the current solution, sometimes the risk of moving away can seem a bit, um, can, can seem bigger than it is in reality. Often, the biggest risk is not to innovate. The biggest risk is not to ask the difficult question. And you could almost say that it's impossible to ask the difficult questions too early. And in fact, if it's not too early, the only other option is that it's too late. So you read this idea of trying to find the right and the perfect time to ask the difficult question of our organization, our product, our proposition, it's a bit false in many ways because that period exists perhaps for a second. And so therefore you really need to be asking the difficult questions earlier on about the business model, the answers to the question and continuing to remember that not how good our product is versus the competitors, but how good our product is versus what the customer would want in an ideal scenario. And you look at most extremely innovative organizations that have closed the gaps in value delivered to customers over time, it's based on the fact that they have a bigger vision around what's possible. And that's what they chase in, not the competitors. And Amazon is a fantastic example in this. It's gone from, you know, a service that, you know, has meant that all of a sudden we all now expect to be able to get same day deliveries on a range of products that we're ordering and we can see how constantly they're empathizing with the customer and ruthlessly trying to come up with answers to customers' questions, which then means that a lot of the other concerns that there is about their operations and maybe the size and the scales and impact maybe doesn't get the traction because they are meeting the core needs of the customer in a way that perhaps nobody else is doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think Amazon is, is a fascinating case study in so many levels. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that we face, you know, working for inevitably smaller organizations than Amazon is, say, well, okay, what can we learn from them? You know, they're massive. You know, Jeff Bezos is obviously a visionary and extraordinary individual, but in reality, what can we learn? Well, I, I picking up from what you've said here, Babylon, I think there's lots that we can learn. I mean, one of them, you know, we all got used to, you know, the one click and it's delivered. And I know that was an initiative that they that they created. Um, they try things, not everything works, but they but they try it. Um, they challenge the business model. Um, you know, they look at how they can bring things to market really, really quickly. Um, so I think there's a lot of really good things. I mean, I was just going to add in to what you were saying with thinking about the um, General Electric and how GE used to build into their processes. And I suspect they still do. Um, a, they, they challenge themselves to destroy their business. And I just thought that's a fantastic exercise in its own, own right, is if, you know, to stand back and say, well, okay, here's our business. What could we do to destroy it? What would that business model look like? And it 
goes back to I think what you were saying earlier is asking a really good question and I would suggest that's maybe one of them you know what would you do if you had an unlimited budget to destroy your business what would it look like um actually I quite like the idea of doing that as, a, as an away day <laughs> probably in a way we probably to, to solve that um what about for individuals though Baba? I mean if we are trying to push ourselves out of our natural sort of comfort zones, I mean, what, what thoughts might you have to help us as individuals just be more innovative in our sort of our general attitude to, to work and life? Yeah, I think one of the key things is that we all tend to be very insular. So we stay within our function, within our industry, same circles, same groups, same processes and then we expect to come up with different ideas and different answers and one of the key things is that to broaden our input to look outside our industry look at adjacent industries to try to understand the fundamentals of what's going on so we can see the parallel between financial services and pharmaceuticals and we could see the learning and we can remember that the consumers are the same consumers that we all are trying to serve. So the changes in their behaviors and their attitudes, how other organizations are reacting to it, there are lessons in all of this um, for us. And to force ourselves to dream about what could be, what would be possible, what could be achieved, how much better could this question be answered? And even if we're not able to get close to it, the, that space that we create is the space that allows us to innovate, that allows us to answer questions, that allows us to be able to be provocative and to begin this journey on getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I suppose the inevitably part of that is to be more inquisitive and to be looking for other stimulation um, and you, you talked about adjacent industry. I know one of the real challenges that I've faced working in B2B for the last few years is that there is a, a total resistance to any ideas coming from FMCG. Well, I know we don't want to do with business to consume, but that's a totally different game. We're not into that. Uh, what are your thoughts then about that big jump? It's one thing to have a sort of a relatively small jump to an adjacent industry or one that's quite similar. What are your thoughts about looking well beyond and you know, looking at completely different sectors? Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge, I think to, to get people completely out of their comfort zone into different sectors is, is um, it's phenomenal. I've had some opportunities within my career to move from B2B to B2C, from B2B to, you know, and so forth. But the, the main point is, one, the individual's ability and willingness to take the risk to go and um, learn and, and use their trade in a different um, um, sector. But the other point is the culture. And often this is one of the difficulties in terms of the willingness of different cultures to be able to absorb and to accommodate people who have different ideas because clearly they won't know the rules of how things used to be which is a weakness, but it's also their strength because they will be able to challenge things in ways which are new, which are different and forces different thinking. So I, I would say that wherever it's possible, as broad as possible, 
the experience in, in different sectors, different environment, even different function, so that there's a more rounded view. And you tend to see that you see more movement at general management level across sectors than sometimes you see within functions like marketing. And I think there's something that we can learn there for both the recruiting organization as well as individuals that we get much more mobility across sectors. There's so much that we could pick up on there. Uh, I think one of the, the, the things that I really sort of identified with what you were saying is really sort of the empathetic piece of seeing the world through other people's eyes. Um, and I was very mindful of that. And I'm going to link this back to our time together. It was a long time ago. It's nearly 10 years ago that, that we first went out to uh, Lagos together. And for me to see um, the world from a very different perspective, um, I mean, landing in Lagos Airport 10 years ago, is, I think it's very different to where it is now, but it was an assault on the senses. Um, but in reflection, what it really got me to do is to, to look at everything from very different viewpoint. Now, I had very sort of blinkered views as to how things should be, um, what marketing looked like, what how customer behavior, how people reacted, and then to be immersed in a totally different environment got me to sort of challenge and rethink so much about you know, what I've done. Um, and you know, th there was a sort of another angle to this as well, this thinking of Matthew Saeed's book, um, which is relating to the whole importance of diversity. Um, and looking and having different perspectives so that you know major events such as 9-11 might have been avoided had they actually had a more diverse team um, they recruited the same types of people this we're talking about CIA here um, they recruited the same sort of people for the same sort of background essentially sort of cut and paste and they missed um, lots of insights that they could have easily spotted um, from Al-Qaeda had they had anybody from outside, or well, particularly with sort of a Muslim background. So I just sort of wondered from your perspective as well, um, again, you, you said right from the outset, you're, you're privileged to be wearing sort of two hats here, but the advantages that you've got of seeing things in from a sort of a, a British and a Nigerian perspective as you've been traveling, and I know you spent quite a lot of time in, um, in Switzerland, for example, um, and what your thoughts were, the advantages that you had from those different cultural backgrounds that you were able to add going into and in, into a Swiss culture. Yeah, I always remember the the must be almost twenty years ago now when I sat down and I had a discussion about this job in Switzerland, and the question I was asked was, "How are you going to cope with the broad range of international culture and living in a different um, country?" And I think that I successfully navigated that by explaining the fact that. I had an experience of living in, in, in Lagos and in London. I think that it allows a, a broad appreciation that, first of all, that there are many ways of answering a question and that different cultures, different environment approach and answer the challenges that they face differently. And sometimes there are some things that at first glance don't make sense but with a bit of patience, with a bit of empathy and understanding, there is usually good logic as to why things are done the way that they, that the different um, cultures, individuals do them. And, and often there's something to learn from it. And I think that this, this, this willingness to learn, to understand, to embrace 
how other people do things, how they solve problems, how they answer questions, how they look at things. It's almost like a continuation of our education. Some of it we get from books and podcasts, and some of it we get from our observations. Um, I remember a friend of mine about 15 years ago contacted me and he said, Baba, can you arrange it for me? I want to go and spend a week in Lagos. I just want to work. I want to do some research. And I said, well, I, what do you, he said, no, I, I need to. And I, and I organized it for him. And I remember he, he went over and spent a week in Lagos and he said, one of the best experiences he's ever had. We have to find ways to get us of our comfort zone to force us to think differently because naturally left to our own devices, we will keep on doing what, where we have found comfort, which is why um, necessity is the mother of invention. And if necessity is not naturally available, we should create it because this is the secret source for us to be able to innovate, to invent, and to come up with different ways of answering questions. Uh, I think that's a great place just to finish off. So basically what you're saying, swallow that brave pill, push yourself out of your comfort zone, be bold, look to adjacent industries, look to disruptive industries, and then actually within your own, own team, hire diverse ranges of, of, of people. I think it was a really strong way to finish. Baba, thank you very much indeed. And thank you all for listening to the Quirky Marketers. Next session, we are going to be talking about strategy and planning and the classic mistakes that people make in that space. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like to raise with us, please um, contact us via the usual channels and then we'll leave you with that. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you again next time.